Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello Boxing Asylum listeners and welcome back to Punches from the Past, the show where we delve into boxing's rich history and talk about the fights that really mattered. I'm Steve and joining me on the call for this third episode of Season 3 we have Rob Kelly and Andy Patterson. In our first episode of Season 3 we covered the Battle of the Z-Boys between a pair of big bantamweight bangers, Carlos Zarate and Alfonso Zamora. Then in Episode 2 we went large and tackled two monster heavyweights at different stages of their respective careers as undefeated Larry Holmes boxed veteran Ken Norton for the latter's WBC title. This time we move slightly closer to the present day, as two pound-for-pound talents, smaller in size but massive in reputation, clashed for £147 honours. Penel Whitaker, a three-weight world champion, by then in possession of the WBC welterweight title, was in one corner. The already legendary 87-0 Mexican Julio Cesar Chavez, vying for a world title in his fourth weight class, stood in the opposite corner. Andy, could a finer stage have been set for such a super fight? Um, yes, yeah, the whole match, one of the great fights. It was one of the most anticipated at that time. We're talking about 1993. You know, records heading in, you know, Sweet P 32-1, but it should be 33-0 actually for Sweet P. Uh, which we'll get to um, in the build-up to this. And obviously, GC Superstar, 87-0. Incredible to think eh, that he went undefeated 87-0. And you talk about guys like Mayweather and Ricardo Lopez. And even if I throw in Wang Hei and Manny Othen, there's you know, undefeated great fighters and stuff. But you know it's, it's not to be sniffed at as well, because you know, we just go to Chavez and stuff. I mean, obviously, you know, his, his defences got up to the lead into this fight was just absolutely incredible. I mean, both fighters, former lineal... Light, uh, lightweight champion Chavez had previously made like nine defences the WBC super featherweight title and he made three of the, uh, the lightweight title and then something like 18 defences of the, the the light welterweight title over like two reigns it's just absolutely incredible I mean for a guy who grew up in absolute abject poverty uh, you know in Sonora Mexico where his, his father uh, I think his name was uh, Rodolfo he was a railroad, uh, railroad worker where his brothers, I think it was something like four brothers and five sisters, all lived in an abandoned trailer uh, on the railway line. Just absolutely, you just couldn't imagine such such, such poverty. And then somehow he just walks into a gym, you know, started as an amateur at like 16. And apparently worked for the record of something like 14 and 1. Moved to Tijuana to embark on a pro career. And, uh, you know, in the end he would uh, become a hero to his people, you know, political scandals and stuff like that, a country that was just besotted with them, you know, 
all these you know political problems, economic economic hardships and stuff, he would become like the kind of beacon of light, so to speak. Turning pro at seventeen, February nineteen eighty. You know, the seventies and eighties were just you know fantastic years for Mexican fans. You think about it, you know, sport in general, just you know, big emergence, you know, dominant champions, people like Salvador Sanchez, Lupe Pintor. You know, Miguel Canto, Ruben Oliveres, Carlos Zarate, as we mentioned, we did a previous episode on him, Pifo Cuevas, you know, just you know, great champions, great fighters. But um, the scene had died in a little bit at that time as well. You know, obviously Chava dying, you know, what, 23-year-old at that time. Mm. So the, you know, the sport was open for someone to come through. And, you know, it wasn't always, you know, this great, you know, hero, so, so to speak, you know, because I think he, he won his first world championship around about 1984, September, I think it was, WBC title. He stopped a guy called uh, Mario Martinez in the eighth round, and it didn't really generate a lot of interest. And um, it took a, I think it was someone at CBS Sports actually kind of made a recommendation to, to Chavez, sorry, you know, saying you know, he's a special talent, so he kind of like say kind of brought more attention to the kind of mainstream kind of boxing media. And as a result, you know, Chavez spoke to Don King about making a fight with Roger Mayweather, and um, stopped in, in two rounds. But um, you know, I think it was the 1986 fight with Rocky Lockridge that um, I think Chavez won a majority decision stuff. It was it was the one that kind of really kind of broke him out, so to speak. So, uh, I, you know, from there on in, actually, his, his defences were just um, absolutely incredible, as I say. I think uh, for £130 title, nine defences before moving up to 135 1987. And he faced, uh, which, in my opinion, uh, I dare say some might, might agree that it was his breakout performance, the kind of more the kind of mainstream would be his win against Edwin Rosario. Who was an excellent fighter. Fantastic fighter. Verbals, punches were swapped pre-fight. You know, Rosario promised to send Chavez back to Mexico in a coffin. It was just proper evil kind of stuff. And Chavez just would go out there and he'd, you know, as I say, he's created the uh, performance, living from his stoppage. And afterwards, you know, so it was accepted that he was probably, in my, you know, by many as the best fighter in the world at that point. Rosario had the uh, a young up and comer in the corner doing the spit bucket that day. What a certain Mike Tyson, but it wasn't Chavez's reign, uh, Andy. It wasn't without controversy. In 1990, obviously, he had that famous fight with Meldrick Taylor, something weird considered yeah. um, covering on punches from the past. He he had a certain style and he was a master at cutting off the ring, but maybe a precursor to the Pinel Whitaker fight. Taylor had really led him a merry dance right up to the twelfth round at times, hadn't he? He had that, actually. I think um, it's one of those fights, actually, you, you can go back and watch and you can see a fighter just absolutely get his prime beat about of him because they, they spoke about Meldrick Taylor being a proud Philadelphian fighter, whereas the Philly fighters were generally tough, really hard, rugged fighters and stuff. But Taylor was a very more kind of classic stylist and that as well. He could box, he could move, he was very, very quick with the hands and stuff. But he went in it to prove a point that he could actually... You know, he could he could trade with Chavez, and if you listen to the corner as well, Lou Duva, who is obviously a great character and stuff, but he had he mis he misadvised uh, Taylor, in my opinion, in the corner of that fight because you know personally I thought Taylor was winning that fight by a landslide, and you know Duva's in the corner telling him Look, you need this round, you need you win this, and it's kind of forcing the guy kind of mentally says oh, okay I need to stand in there and trade with him. And in the meantime, Chavez is just constantly chipping away, working at the body, working at his mental, and just broke him down in the end. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a dodgy, not a dodgy stoppage, but we will say this, you know, Richard Steele's always been, been called a favourable favorable referee for Don King fighters and stuff mm. like that, but I think Chavez in the past has also called into question uh, still, maybe in the later half of his career, I need to go and double check on that one. This is this is we're talking, but I think he's maybe had a grunt with stealing past fights and that as well. So, I think the stoppage was looking back at it, it's probably fair, man. I mean, maybe maybe he deserved to kind of hear the last two seconds. I don't know, but it was it was a bad beating in the end. I mean, the guy. I mean, they talk about a rematch. Um, that was quashed immediately because. Taylor decided to go up, go up to 154. And I think it was like two or three years later before the guys would be would, uh, rematch. But yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. I I I remember at the time. I mean, you know, fights weren't as easy to see. 
um, as they are now, you know, certain ITV had no interest in showing Chavez at that point, you know what I mean? So there was ITV and BBC Boxing. And other than that, you had the kind of mail order tapes or cassettes, or you knew someone who had a copy. And actually, it was someone in school. I think ITV might have shown it after the fact. And someone in my school's dad had a copy of it, and that's how I eventually got it. But I had read like Boxing Weekly and Boxing Monthly's reports on it beforehand, so I was expecting a controversy. And I remember at the time, I was such a big fan of Taylor. Um, so he stopped someone in four rounds on an undercard, and he was on ITV, and I had seen him. That was the first time I'd seen him. And just the hand speed was unbelievable. And um, I think, in, you know, obviously in retrospect, it was the correct decision, but Richard Steele has a decision to make, and you're looking at Taylor, the damage on his face, even though he hadn't taken, pun- like, he wasn't looking like he was taking punishment yeah. throughout the fight, um, you see the damage on his face, I think Richard Steele had a decision to make, and he could have been killed, man, like, I don't know, like, the, the red, the body, work, is the body work is brutal, mate. Big time, and, like, you know, like, I, he's thinking, I gotta save this guy, like because Chavez has finally caught up with him. He's got up, but he's exhausted. His jaws or his orbital bone is obviously broken. I know there's ten seconds, but ten seconds with Chavez when you're hurt, he's thinking. You know, all he sees is the red. The red. Um, there was a lot of controversy about that at the time. You know, the the um, the siren kind of that's on the corner that flashes red when there's ten seconds to go. There used to be that in the '90s, like so. Chavez, that was that was going off in the background. So the critics of Richard Steele were saying, well, he should have known, like that. There's only ten seconds left he's seen he's heard the the 10 second warning and he can see the thing flashing to say there's 10 seconds counted down i don't know if that that's not in play anymore but uh, it, it was in the 90s like already i think it was 89 when that fight wasn't it? Or no 1990 Matt patrick's day in 1990 mm. so i think richard Steele made the right decision especially when you see how taylor turned out i think he made i don't i think the criticism of taylor, that richard Steele took over that fight over the years is extremely unfair the other thing as well was also it was fight of the year for 1990 as well, mate. And latter half of that decade, it was eventually voted fight of the decade as well. So it was a great, it was a fantastic fight. Yeah, I've heard Taylor. I always wondered. Oh, he's punchy about the about the Oh, he's like he's. I know someone from Philly actually, Vinny Paz, the rapper, and he tells me he yeah. sees Magic Taylor around um, the stores in Philly sometimes outside the liquor store, and he hasn't got a penny, and he's punchy. It's very very sad how he ended up absolutely tragic but um yeah i mean i i, I saw him comment in the ring magazine i don't know how coherent he was for the interview but it's a recent enough one about a year ago and he said maintains that the damage he um got on his face and the the the, the way he felt the punches from chavez that night he reckons that his hands were loaded that night that his, his hand wraps were loaded well, i don't know if that's mm-hmm. someone getting in his ear after the fact but there were very thudding shots, and even if you listen, if you look back at HBO's Legendary Nights or anything, you can hear the belt yeah. off some of the shots coming through on the microphones for TV. So, not beyond. I don't want to take anything away from Chavez, but not beyond the realms of possibility, really. Like, is it? Yeah, Chavez dunking the WBC. We will come to them a little bit later on. Uh, 1992 Mexican Independence Weekend. Chavez was yeah. one of his great performances against Hector Camacho. The way he cut off the ring against an excellent, skilled fighter like Camacho. That was one of his better performances. Marty Jakabowski, that's an interesting one in December. This is quite the character. This guy, 37-0, and 0, whenever Chavez got rid of him. Ended up with 118 wins, Jakabowski. Whenever he wasn't mixing and getting beaten in and around world level... He was fighting back at home, racking up these wins against lesser opposition, quite the character. Greg Horgan as well, familiar name around those times, was getting dismissed as well. And then Terence Ali, fighter I'd never actually heard of, watched a bit of footage of this earlier on today beforehand. I wouldn't say he gave Chavez problems, but he had an ifty upper cut, bit of speed about him. Guy Arnon, like Howard Eastman, did a decent job. Moving on then, uh, Rob, up to... The 10th of September 1993, the fighting question, a clash of pound-for-pound proportions, as Andy mentioned, moving up and weight, Chavez, a near-untouchable force. One of the most highly anticipated contests since Hagler against Leonard, this was. Definitely, and when you talk about, again, fights not being that easy to, to come by back in those days, really a lot of it was Ring Magazine articles, Boxing Monday articles, but I remember... Um, I think uh, Whitaker had been training with Benton originally, hadn't he? And then Whitaker turned pro with Benton because Benton was the lead trainer for uh, main events at that time. So he trained the Vander Holyfield and all that crew. And then, and then, did, who took it over in the second half? Was it Duva? Duva, I think it was Duva. Yeah. Duva. Did I see Jack Mosley hanging around in the corner, or, or did I? Was I seeing things as maybe a second or something? 
I could be wrong, I, boys. I don't know, but, but I don't know those hats were were a popular feature in the eighties, weren't they? In ring corners, like those yeah. <laughs> marine hats. But I like what I'm, what I was getting at is I remember I clearly reading a ring article years ago talking about the strength of Whitaker, and that as part of his training regime was Greco Roman wrestling with the uh, hundred and sixty pounders. Do you know a lot of lots and kind of that's where I see the comparisons to the modern day Crawford when people compare sweet. I never thought. Crawford moved anything like sweep he no one did but that strength for a smaller guy is kind of similar in the way he could switch but um, I remember thinking after reading that that Chavez is not going to have his way with him and that if he can you know from the bits I had seen of um, I think I'd seen the Buddy McGuard fight only at that stage um, from what I could see of Whitaker I thought he was going to cause him trouble but I didn't expect the, the fight to play out to that but yeah certainly I mean fuck me that, like, I think Boxing Monthly has Chavez always number one in their pound for pound and ring had Whitaker number one in their pound for pound rankings for years as Andy says like just for, for a couple I think it was I think Whitaker might have been in the in the in and around the top two in the pound for pound list for around 10 years with the ring magazine so quite remarkable two excellent fighters with totally different styles coming together to to see who's the main man at welterweight after both winning titles at lightweight and and uh uh, junior junior welterweight as well so incredible really when you think about it and when you see like I suppose it's easy looking back to give these guys legendary status this fight was back in the day I was what 15 say maybe when this fight was made and this was from boxing writers or boxing fans this was the one uh, like you say rightly say that had everybody on the edge of the seat since probably since um, Leonard and Hagler especially for the lower weight guys like Andy, before we move on to the fight itself, quick word for the only person at that time to have beaten Penel Whitaker. This, the original Zerdo, Mr. Ramirez here, he Shit. wasn't afraid to, he wasn't <laughs> afraid to go in with an undefeated fighter, and he'd even gone in the likes of Argeo, Ray Mancini. Looks like a tough guy at that time. Must look more on this fella. Not really too familiar with his work. His record's actually quite, you know, if you look at it, it's maybe quite deceiving and stuff. But um, there's a there's a whole shenanigan regards to that, obviously, mm-hmm. because. It's the classic, classic robbery, you know, resulting in all calls of corruption and collusion. WBC no being far away from the centre, the epicentre of all matters, you know. Don, who's he, Suleiman? You know, we've seen them get involved nowadays. But, you know, the fact that collusion was, um, Whitaker and Chavez would, uh, would date back as far back as uh, the first fight with Whitaker and Ramirez, by the way, because the talk was really that they wanted the unification fight between Ramirez and Chavez, which eventually did, did, did come off, right? And according to Vander Holyfield, right, a WBC official apparently had told Whitaker that if they beat Ramirez, they would have to face Chavez, right, with Don King as the promoter, right? Mm-hmm. So if Whitaker didn't comply with that, right, there would be, there would be no fight. So Lou Duva called the bluff, right, and said, that, right, okay, fine, there's no fight. So Whitaker then lost a disgraceful decision, right? So Duva then calls Don uh, Suleiman a fucking thief. <laughs> Suleiman then files a $1 million lawsuit and litigation, right? Which then results in Duva dropping it because he admitted he's got no evidence. Holyfield then recalled his own legal issues trying to get a title shot with Mike Tyson saying Don King spent two hundred and fifty grand in legal fees to get my title shot. Yeah? So um, probably some experts would probably say as well that you know, Whitaker probably might, might have even waited for Chavez to get old and that as well, but... Um, same time, you know, lead in Whitaker and his own man. He's 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 how much a career is extensive. You know, officially it's like two hundred fifteen fights or something. But some people say he's like had like five hundred. You know, world silver, Munich eighty two, and get gold Pan Am American Games eighty three, Olympic gold eighty four, tons pro with all that great squad nineteen eighty four as well, man. They're on the same card. Think about it: Taylor, Breland, Biggs, Hill, Holyfield, Holyfield. Jesus, man. Um, unbelievable. Can you think of a better Olympic team in history? I can't. I oh. mean, fuck me. Like, those the guys, the Ukrainians. careers... The, the, well, the Ukrainians are, Ukrainians are coming through, I guess, now, but in terms of pro careers and the impact they had on the sport, yeah. that 84 team was special. Like, special. Absolutely. And all of them could fucking fight. Every one of them could really fight. Like, it wasn't like they weren't paper Olympic gold medalists like we see some days, sometimes these days. They'd beaten great fighters along the way and then gone on would, um, Tyrell Biggs, I suppose, even was was the only one that maybe underachieved. But even he, he came probably came at the wrong time when Tyson was yeah. there. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So that's the thing, Tay. See, see when he got robbed against Ramirez and that, right? It'd be two years before he got another title shot, right? And that was when he beat Greg Haugen. Um, and believe it or not, he'd actually become, he would become the first undisputed lightweight champion since Roberto Duran. And he finally beat Ramirez in the rematches and that as well, which was, which was, you know, probably settled that beast now. But you know, it was again, it's just there's got some politics I suppose you know they wanted to kind of make sure that fight happened between uh, Chavez and Ramirez because it was a natural fight to get made at that point yeah Andy summed it up quite concisely Rob looking through the records it's a whole big minefield even Shelley Finkel was jumping in as well I mean I'm not going to say corruption but I mean it was certainly dirty going on there yeah definitely I, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that you know Whitaker was on the wrong end of a couple of decisions like um, throughout his career but the one thing I'd say about that is looking back and I know it means nothing to the fighters when they lose the big prize but um, you can pull the wall over everyone's eyes except the fans really when it comes down to it because everybody knows Whitaker didn't lose those fights you know what I mean um, so I suppose it, you know when you're looking back in retrospect at his career you give him the props as the winner in all those fights but yeah boxing politics man since the beginning of the time and more so even today um <sighs> just fucking crazy like but the eyes of the world were on that fight and it was that was one of the ones that you consider one of the biggest letdowns from the spectator point of view because the right guy should have got the decision back looking at the first third of the fight then Andy feel free to talk about whatever you want I thought a lot of the moving and posturing from Whitaker maybe in the first couple of rounds there was a definite style differential between them Chavez yeah. was the more aggressive one of the greats as I said at cutting off the ring whereas Whitaker was defensively so sound it was yeah. in the third round I thought he really started to stamp his authority that was his round he jabbed he moved he was leading Chavez a merry dance as early as the third yeah, definitely. I mean, I suppose, you know, naturally, I mean, it's, it's a raucous welcome for, for Chavez and that, and he was aggressive right for the very off. But um, I just thought that, you know, just the way that Sweet Pea moved, just the kind of different directions, different movement, just just a slight wee judgment, uh, judging, you know, where Chavez and that was going to be and that, just the general, general, uh, ring generalship, sorry, and, and defensive skill of Sweet Pea for me was just, just different, different class. You know, round two, you know, again, it just started again like the first, you know, Chavez is very, very aggressive. But um, at times that as well, Sweet Peas, he's wanting to stand in and he's wanting to trade. He's wanting to kind of like, you know, grapple and kind of like, as, as Rob talking about Crawford there, for example, you know, people want to talk about recent memory, you know, getting in a grapple and kind of get some body shots off and then kind of try and wriggle yourself out of distance and stuff. It was, you know, Sweet Pea was a marvel at it, actually. And it's... It's not until I kind of sat and watched him because, like you, Steve, I think, you know, it's not really like a kind of career we kind of sat and watched, in all honesty, no. um, or, or paid a lot of attention to because as a style that you've got to kind of sit and appreciate or sit and kind of really judge, it's not really, really exciting, so to speak, in that. But, um, you know, he's happy to trade. He is happy to trade. He's, he, okay, he's very defensive, responsible. He's wanting to kind of fight in the back foot, but he will got a vicious side to him he's willing to kind of step in there and he won't let his hands go go ahead Rob yeah no I'd, I'd agree with that I think the the first two rounds were definitely kind of feel out rounds for both of them Chavez starting very fast um, but like you said from early having problems cutting the distance and it was a very different fight from the Meldrick Taylor fight Taylor had blister in hand and foot speed so he was able to let off these ring off these combinations, six and seven punch combinations, and just be gone. Um, and frustrate Chavez, who, in fairness to him, and he was the word earlier against Rosario, evil. Chavez was an evil competitor, like so he keep mm-hmm. coming no matter what. He's like the Terminator, and he's going to low try blows. low blows. That's one thing I was going to mention about the first quarter, quarter of the fight. Actually, Chavez tried the low blows as early as the third round. Mm-hmm. But what I liked about Parnell Whitaker was he Going looked at Joe, Joe Carter. Yeah, he hit him back low. He hit, him back, he hit him back low almost straight away. He hit him back in the body. Chavez a moment ago landing a punch that was a little bit low to Whitaker. Whitaker now pushing Chavez back. Interesting, huh? Yeah. Nice left hand off the ropes by Whitaker. The hand speed right now of Pernell Whitaker is uh, very much in evidence. And one thing you mentioned about Chavez, he's not been able to throw many combinations. They've been singular punches. And one thing we know about Chavez, and we've seen it in all his matches, uh, is that he does like to punch a combination. And Chavez is a guy who will wait for an opponent to make a mistake and capitalize on it. Now, in the case of Pernell Whitaker, he may have to wait a while. 
Cornell is a very clever fighter. Right now, what he's doing that's interesting is taking the play away from Chavez even on the inside. There's the left hook from Chavez underneath the double left hook, but it didn't land as effectively as he'd like. And in fact, Whitaker came up with a right hand of his own. Corte was a, a bit of a factor in the fight. I thought or thought it was going to be a bit of a factor in the fight. He's known over the years for kind of backing the home fighter, no matter who the promoter is. Joe Cortez, you know, you could say maybe against Floyd, Ricky Hatton. He was protecting Floyd a bit against Amir Khan and Maidani. I remember him saving Khan's life in one of the rounds. Like, um, And from the get-go, he was on Whitaker's case. Yeah, from the get-go, he's on Whitaker's case. And there's, a, there's a, one of the rounds where Whitaker gets pissed off with him and kind of pushes his hand away uh, and Cortez stops. Yeah, Cortez stops to, to 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 tell him don't push him, but I, I think you're right, Andy. Like in, in terms of style, it's a it's a purest style. Yeah. But if you've been in at all, like if even if you've done the minimum level of sparring, like if you've been in at all, you, you can appreciate it because, you can't touch like him. you said, you can't touch him, and he's standing right there, and it's all little southpaw jabs, just offsetting Chavez, just as he's getting set to dip in, dip his head and rip the body like he would have been doing before with those. You know, he was two guys in the 80s that could punch to the body and head in with left hooks were Tyson and Chavez. They used to kind of double to the body, left hook to the body, left hook to the head. And he just couldn't get that off with the, with the southpaw style. And he's just getting offset and offset. And I thought the first, kind of the third and fourth round then set the, the precedent for how the rest of the fight was going to play out. Yeah, Whitaker was constantly resetting Chavez. He wasn't able to sustain anything. Barry yeah. Tompkins on the ESPN broadcast said, Chavez is a guy who waits for his opponents to make a mistake and then capitalises. Against Whitaker, he might be waiting a while. As early as the fifth round, Andy, uh, Whitaker's hand speed was starting to quieten the crowd as well. 65,000 Mexicans were roaring on their man, but he was looking quite confident, Whitaker. And I thought Chavez, by about the fifth and definitely in the sixth, was starting to look a little bit uh, frustrated. He was, but to be fair, he continued, he did stalk him, and he was, you know, again, when he did stalk, P just, again, he gave that half step back and he countered either with the jab or the left hand and as Rob says, the body shots and stuff, but, you know, I, I did think that Chavez performed a bit better in the fifth than he did in like the, the previous two rounds and stuff, I did think Sweet P started to get the kind of better success as the round kind of went on, and obviously both traded late and... I did think that uh, Chavez landed, a, I think he landed a good left hook actually at one point as well. I think this might have been one of the rounds I might have gave to Chavez actually. And as I say, my, my scorecard is wide. I mean, when I talk about wide, I'm talking like almost out the fucking part wide. And mm. we're going we're gonna to get to Mickey Vanessa's at, at some point and stuff. But I did think that, and as I say, you've got to really want to score rounds to, to Chavez, in my opinion, of this fight, or this is how my reading of the fight goes at least. But to me, I think this was probably one of Chavez's better rounds. Uh, so that'd be round five, I think it's something like I had it like 49-46 to sweet pee by this point. This isn't breaking news, Rob, but by round seven, Pennell was just showing what a good mover he was. He was effortlessly sliding from the offensive posture into defensive posture, backwards and forwards, moving Chavez and actually putting him on the back foot. Chavez wasn't throwing as many body shots, I didn't think, and he wasn't dominating the inside battle with Whitaker either, which was a surprise because that you would have thought that would have been his territory. Took him to the ropes, eh? Mm-hmm. What do you think, Rob, about Whitaker's work on the inside? Those fast hands going down to Chavez's body. Sorry, I was talking there and having myself on view. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think the the strength on the inside from from Whitaker was very telling in this fight because surely Chavez's game plan would have been to let him have the first few rounds, maybe take a look at him, start to go to the body early, um, and have him there late where you can get him on the ropes and start to punish him like Taylor, but. He couldn't get to when you're looking at, at Whitaker in a corner. If he's in a space where there's like six foot of space on either side of him, Chavez can get close as close as he wants to him, uh, kind of di- directly. But if there's diagonal space there, Whitaker can go either way to get out. It's remarkable, really. Like he could spin out on his right foot or his left, and you know, not he doesn't do the Lomachenko thing where he goes around the side, he's just gone. And it's almost like, you know, the, the bull versus the matador. Like, he's just he's just so quick and he gets in and out. But as well as that, the strength of, of Whitaker on the inside when Chavez was trying to get him to the ropes, Whitaker was dominating that and, and pushing him to the ropes. So he wasn't he wasn't letting him get an edge in any way. So, you know, ways that Chavez, Chavez could probably get an edge is going to the body. He wasn't letting him go to the body. He was going to the body, hitting him low. He wasn't letting him hit him low. 
He was tying him up on the inside. He wasn't letting him do any work on the ropes. He just, like I said, it's not a pretty performance. It's not, but it's just the fact that he's doing it to a top, top competitor like Chavez, who's already had a, a career on par and is the closest thing that people would have said to Robert Uzran in that era, like, um, in terms of uh, dominance. And then to, to, for, for Whitaker just to be doing that to him in the ring and just really showing a, a kind of a, the way to beat him, really. Um, with his strength and his movement and his hand speed, it was, uh, yeah, it was definitely starting to come to play by the seventh round. Yeah, I do see stylistic similarities between Lomachenko and Whitaker. I was, I was loving Whitaker's inside game as well. Uh, Andy, whenever Pennell died, I said to you after we did the Holmes and... Yeah. Ken Norton episode that I hadn't really sat down and watched Whitaker, and I confessed I'd never actually sat and watched a fight of his in full. He's somebody who just sort of slid out of my radar, and I'd never followed. And which one shall I go and watch? You recommended me the Chavez one straight away. That's how this episode was born. Talk about Chavez getting frustrated. I thought his corner was getting frustrated after about round nine. Don't know what they were saying, but they were running, giving him the riot attack. Really, again, I've got it in my notes here. He wasn't able to set his feet because yep. as soon as he got, he was ready in range to throw the shots. Whitaker was bum bum and he was a way out it, yep. his performance by this point it was strategically and tactically so good he's just I mean again it's just a wee half step he did a wee half step a good straight right hand so a good straight right jab sorry and then maybe a wee left hand in there he would drop a right hand to the body slip outside or you know he would maybe step in kind of duck and jab to the body while Chavez is trying to kind of get in and try to kind of work his own body shots and stuff but um I think I, I don't know what version you, I, I I watched the Showtime version and I I did think that they were pretty much homers for for Chavez, especially uh, Fede Pacheco. He's he's a, he's got a hard one for Mexicans and stuff. But by this point, they're talking Chavez needs a needs a knockout by this point. But they're still talking as if it was a kind of close fight. So I'm saying, so you know, what is it, guys? You know, really, come on, what is it? Does he need a knockout or you you just banking on or do you know it's a close fight? You know, as well as that, though, at the time, American judges as well and commentators, you could be doing nothing in the round, but as long as you're coming forward, they're giving yeah. you the round. They said that on the version that I watched as well. They said that on the version I watched. I was watching an ESPN version where Barry Tompkins and Al Bernstein were watching it back from the next week or something before mm -hmm. a fight. You know, the way they used to do that. And they were saying yeah. that as well. Oh, well, you could be giving Chavez credit for ring generalship here. I think they said that in round 11. Yeah. Well, I said that in round 9. I've got a wee note here saying like that, that Whitaker started uh, quite quickly and got him with a jab, but it was a better round by Chavez. But Sweet P was able to kind of respond, stay level with Chavez. So whatever Chavez was able to do, you know, Whitaker was able to respond to it, stay eeky peeky with him. So what are you going to do? You're going to score it on Chavez's volume or on Sweet P's quick counters, you know, or do you give mercy to Chavez, you know, that he's, that he's, that he's hanging in there, he's getting outboxed, he's getting outclassed. He's done better than you know expect you know expected at this point because you know the shown he's shown so far. So do you gain the round out of mercy, or you know was it more what you liked? Me, I thought Sweet Pea won won the round cleaner, better, composed work for me. 89, 82 Sweet Pea. Big time. I think what you always have to have the in sure when you're a judge at least that should be the minimum requirement that you keep all the criteria in your head when you're scoring mm -hmm. the round. You know what I mean? It's, and, and especially when there's tight rounds, maybe there's not much action. But I thought Whitaker always had the final say as well, and that was very telling. You know I mean, it should be, it should be, it was should have been clear as crystal clear that he's winning in clean punches, landed, effective aggression, ring generalship, and defense. Like, he's winning, he's in, on, if you're, if you're scoring the rounds on all those criteria, like, it should be, Whitaker pisses it, like, Final few rounds and Andy, 10 to 12. I haven't got very many notes inside or outside. Whitaker is the boss for me in the battle of every style. I, I say whether it was inside, outside, jabbing and moving or standing and trading. I thought, and Chavez looked like the man in the 11th who wanted to hold as well. I have yeah. very sparse notes. Anything that took your interest in those final yeah, few? Yeah, round 10 to me reaffirmed that Whitaker was obviously the stronger man because obviously, you know, I think Chavez was moving up and waiting for this fight. I think this is at 147. Is this right? Mm-hmm. Aye, so I think he was. I that's right because he was the one forty champ. So he'd he'd fought, he'd fought a forty seven though for Taylor, wasn't that? Was that forty seven? That was at one forty. Was it? That was definitely one forty. I think. Aye, uh, Taylor was, was one. Your yeah, WBC okay, and okay. IBF super light. Yeah, it yeah. was a unification one forty. Aye, aye. So um, he was uh, to me, it was his strength. He was landing quick left hands and 
as I say, he's on the inside and that he was very busy, whereas Chavez were, you know, on the inside, that's meant to be Chavez's office, you know, and it's it's what it's taxing him, you know, <laughs> Christ, it's him that's paying the rent, you know, so it, it, to me, he's struggling, he's, you know, Whitaker's jab, his movement, the left hands, all effective, Chavez, you know, to me, he's just, I wouldn't say give it the ghost, I just thought he was frustrated, but really hanging in there, trying to, you know, remain competitive. Answer. Yeah, he ain't got the answer. The, uh, for long parts of the fight, I know this is like the old cliche for Southpaw's fighting orthodox fighters, but Chavez's left foot wasn't outside uh, Whitaker's right foot. So Whitaker's controlling that. He's he's keeping him off balance with that Southpaw jab. And then Chavez is looking for the right hand, but Whitaker's spinning off to the other side. So he's yeah. almost like a ghost. And he, given, he hadn't got an answer for that. And as well as that, Whitaker was brilliant at switching it up so he didn't give him he didn't give him any kind of comfortability with any particular look so he's jabbing he's jabbing like like Steve says he's jabbing but then he's mixing it up but Chavez is not really sure what's coming is he going to come and mix it up or is he going to give me the jab and every like yeah. I said just constantly offsetting him and he, he showed so much variation that I think Chavez at that stage has just been like oh fuck this like I'm just yeah. I'm going to just keep swinging see if I can catch him with something but I, I'm not for this guy like it felt like Chavez had two options either try and force the ropes which he couldn't really do strength wise Mm. Or try and kind of flurry when he was on the inside, which he couldn't do because Whitaker wouldn't allow him, or he would just tie him up and just kind of put single punch him or two punch him. But talking about a couple other notes, Steve, for like mm. the 11 and 12, eh, I did notice this. Ferdy Pacheco had it close, and Ferdy, as I say, as I mentioned it, Ferdy is annoying to me, right? He had it close, but at the same time, they were becoming really annoying because they acknowledged, acknowledged Whitaker's brilliance. But they were still maintaining that it was a close fight, <laughs> and I just I couldn't get it. My at this point, I was like, I'm going to switch this off because it was really frustrating to watch and well, no so much watch, listen to it because I, I you know what well, obviously I know, I know the scorecard, I know the robbery, but interestingly, round twelve, go back and watch it, guys. I don't know if anybody's seen it uh, on the Showtime version at least. As um, everybody's you know they're frustrated, Chavez corner, it's an uproar. They're telling him he need a knockout. You know, Pacheco, but that's what he has. Pacheco now at round twelve states. There is no justification. I'm quoting him here. There is no justification for Julio Cesar Chavez to be winning this fight, right? And guess who's getting Chavez instructions in the corner when everything's gone mental? You need a knockout, Julio. You need a knockout. Guess who else is getting him instructions? <laughs> You're right, Julio Junior. He must have been six, seven, maybe eight year old at most. And there he is. I don't know what he was saying. I thought you were going to say Suleiman. Aye, no, actually, he whispered. He whispered to the young fella. What's he you like <laughs> So I, so he's basically he's a young kid. Basically, he's talking to his dad between rounds and stuff. Like Pacheco saying, "There's no way Chavez can be winning this fight." And to me, Sweet Pea found the action, took it to the ropes, went to work, and uh, Chavez, you know, he's still attempted to press forward, I suppose. But he's just to me, he got picked off and manhandled in that twelfth round. And to me, guys, in my opinion, my scorecard, as he pressed for the knockout, to me, P is too elusive. I had it 119 to 109 to sweep P. Whitaker. Wow, that's a wide one there. I had it 117, 111. Upon a rewatch, maybe slide it to 116, 112, being increasingly generous. But I thought Whitaker was a worthy winner. Rob, what about you? Yeah, I think you can only make an argument for Savage winning four rounds I think in reality he probably won two maybe three at a push but um, a dominant win for, for Sweepy in a blatant robbery like absolute blatant robbery Savage doesn't think so by the way you wouldn't expect him oh, to no. <laughs> tough all competitor oh, no. he maintains that uh, Whitaker held him all night and didn't want to fight and was holding the back of his head but I, I, I have such admiration for, for Whitaker and different guys who were able to implement the style where they defused the other guy I think that's better than any any knockout, any kind of flashy performance, whatever way you want to look at it. I think if you can st- if you can take the guy's strengths and use them against him and not allow him to put impose his game plan on you and like perfectly defuse him, I I love that shit. Like, so that was a classic fight for me. I, I still watch that back whenever I throw it on once every once a year or twice a year just to to look just to see the things that Whitaker was doing, even the uppercuts as well, like the loose uppercuts that he was throwing on the inside. He's doing that to Chavez, Chavez Senior. Mister Chop the body and the head will fall like the fucking a goonie, like an absolute right. fucking legend at that stage, undefeated. You know, unbeatable as a lot of boxing writers thought he was unbeatable. Nobody, like I don't really remember 
that many. My memory's a bit hazy from the time, but I don't really remember people giving Whitaker much of a shot in that. Like, and that was know, a good tactic. That, that was a good tactic for Whitaker, Rob, because I mentioned earlier on in the show that Terence Ali had a little bit of success, uh, obviously on a lesser level with the uppercut as well. Yeah, true. Yeah, and Whitaker was like fine enough from round three at will, so it was astonishing what he was doing. You know, like you talk about Chavez's record and his performances, Greg Hogan, Rosario, uh, Taylor, um, it's Roger Mayweather. He's quite annihilated Roger Mayweather. Like he's a, he was a beast. So for to do that to him was something special. I thought. Yeah, okay, so it's in San Antonio, Texas. Just get the particulars <laughs> out of the way here. There was, it wasn't all bad. It wasn't all bad for Penel Whitaker. Hey, made, That's made, a, that makes it even better. He went into the fucking Alamo to fight him as well. Exactly. Jesus exactly, and he made the first defence, and he got out with his WBC title, Andy, because it was a majority decision. Jack Woodruff saw it 115-113 in his favour, whereas Franz Marty and had it 115-115, so a couple of even rounds thrown in to add insult to injury. Yeah, yeah, Mickey Van, 115, 150 more. Got a wee, I found a wee story on this one, actually. So, apparently, um, Mickey Van apparently claimed later that he deducted a point from Whitaker in round six for a low blow that referee Joe Cortez didn't take any action on. Now, obviously, the way the low blow, when it happened in round six, let me just kind of find my note here. Uh, yeah, so Whitaker was showing cute inside work, cooking uh, Chavez's right hand while he was hitting on, on the release, right? So Chavez hit low a number of times during the fight, including the hips and thighs, received a heavy shot from Sweet Pea with a left hand, right? So Whitaker, uh, Chavez also complained after the fight that Sweet Pea's tactics were borderline illegal, right? So this is a guy who's actually thrown illegal shots out of Whitaker before he decided, okay, fuck this shit. Let's get involved. And he basically kind of responded to it. Um, to me, that fight, can you honestly score six rounds clearly to Chavez to make that a draw? No. None at all. None no. at all. Mickey Van, I don't know why or how he is in a position to deduct a point when a referee, to me, if I'm scoring a fight, I do not deduct a point from a scorecard unless the referee does it officially in the ring and makes it known Absolutely in the ring. Absolutely not, yeah, yeah. Okay, because I go back to the Evander Holyfield fight against Dwight Muhammad Kawi. Apparently, Holyfield deducted a point late in that 15th round. I never saw it being deducted, but apparently it was deducted, but I never scored it as such because I never saw it. So, officially, I never saw it happen. So, to me, how the hell he got that scorecard, to me, is just... And- Something's it's wrong. not in the judge's remit, is it? I don't no. know if it's somewhere in the rule book, but it's not in the judge's remit to make his own decision to deduct a point. Oh. Unless it's been called. That's why the referee calls to the judges one point. To make Absolutely sure you better not. take it off, no matter really how you score in the fight. It can't be like overruled. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? If they, it, but that, it, Surely the opposite works the, the, the same way. So if Mickey Van saw well, a low blow awarded that he didn't think was low, he could not take the point deduction. It's fucking bizarre. ridiculous. No. And I saw him, I saw him, Mickey Van, he had, I think he had to officially retire from British rings at a certain age, but Aye. he was still allowed to ref in Ireland. Yep. And I was uh, I was coming to the ring with Oshin Fagan the night he fought um, Eddie Highland in the basketball arena in Tala. Mm-hmm. Nice spot. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I saw Mickey Van he was going to the toilet and I wanted to fucking say it to him I wanted to say you fucker but um, <laughs> but there was loads of fellas fucking pissed up calling him a legend and all I saw I let him have his moment there on <laughs> an old man but I was like you fucker you're Rob Whittaker but uh, yeah I let him slide the, the, the other scorecards I'll just put it in perspective so Associated Press 116-112 to Sweet Pea Newsday had it 116-112 to Sweet Pea Ring Magazine 117-111 Sweet Pea and Sports Illustrated 117-111 to Sweet Pea. So, I'm sorry, I just I just kind of see how leaving just give a draw. I just, I just, I just, I could the best I say is you need to go back and watch it, but I would need to try and give Whitaker rounds because it's the only way you can score it that close. You would need to find and want to score rounds to Chavez. Well, I think it says it all when Sports Illustrated said it was the biggest robbery in the history of boxing um, when it was a draw. You know what I mean? Because normally yeah. if, it's, if a fight's a draw, you don't get you rarely get people screaming robbery the other way. Um, but that was a clear one. Fuck me. 
Like if and, you look at all those like ring like Sports Illustrated, as Andy said, Associated Press, Ring mm-hmm. Magazine, and they're all scoring it widely for Whitaker, but Mickey Van somehow is doing his own point deductions. Like it just stinks like, doesn't it? Well the the thing is about Van as well, not that I want to stay on him for too long, but about a month later he refereed Lewis against Bruno, didn't he, in Cardiff? And he was infamous then as well. This was also in nineteen ninety three, do you remember? Don't yep. fuck me about shouting and then uh, Howard Lederman, I think no it wasn't Lederman, it was Jim Lampley referred to that on the HBO commentary about his yep. scoring in the in the fight a month earlier. Yeah, no, he's um Bruno nearly had him gone that night, didn't he? When you think back, fucking hell, history could have changed. Um, but yeah, no questionable. Like, but I wonder at what pressure judges are like in are under in 1989, going to fucking San Antonio, Texas, to judge Julio Cesar Chavez fight. And they're maybe thinking, seeing a fight, get away from him, and thinking, fuck, we better make this fucking, better make this right. We won't get out of here. Like, um, well, because, yeah, because as well, Whitaker to the to the Mexicans was thinking the joint out. Like, they weren't, you know, even the impartial one uh, fight fans weren't really enamoured with Whitaker's style or anything There's, but it's having said that he's clearly won the fight regardless of whether you like it or not well as much as things change they stay the same Jose Suleiman the head of the WBC was afterwards Ooh. saying it's a mystery as to where the official scorecards ended up no idea where they went and Don King the promoter was being investigated by the federal government in relation to his activities all in well, America so. all in America he beat the IRS you know I'll fucking tell you about him, how him and Aaron survived so long. Imagine a black man in the 1980s in America beating the IRS when he was as crooked as the fucking day is long and he still beat the IRS. Remarkable. Uh, he's, he's some man, Don King. Don King, he will live. He will live forever. Unfortunately, Mr. Whitaker... He will never is, die. Well, uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, Mr. Whitaker is no longer with us. But, Andy, after this fight against Chavez, we mentioned he came out with the WBC title. Yeah. He had a few contests of interest still left in him as well. He wasn't finished by any means. Looking at his uh, post-Chavez career, a rematch with Buddy McGirt after that first fight, your mate Gary Jacobs from Scotland yeah. in '95. Julio Cesar Vasquez, there's a name from the past, fought Ronald Winky Wright at one point, right up to De La Hoya, and then obviously the last few fights whenever he was past his best against Trinidad. Any word on Whitaker post-Chavez from you? Yeah, well, obviously we spoke about, obviously he'd been disgustingly robbed in two fights in his career and stuff like that, but interestingly, he'd actually been on the favourable side of a, a split decision victory against uh, Wilfredo Rivera uh, in San Martin. Um, it's one of the American... I don't know if it's one of the American tax islands and stuff like that, but Whitaker basically kind of blamed the flu and he, he was given a split decision victory, basically. But to me, when I watched it, he, he, he lost the decision, but he rematched the guy, basically. I think it was like uh, four or five months later and won it handedly and stuff. And then the Hurtado knockout, which was disgusting, by the way, because mm. but Arthur McCanty Jr., by the way, an absolute mess of a referee. His dad would be ashamed of him actually just to see him kind of watch that guy get punched about there like that but a really interesting fact actually so Whitaker from the first Ramirez fight right up until he fought Oscar Whitaker would have been undefeated for 10 years 26 fights which included title fights for 140 to 154 before he dropped back down to 147 to defend his title right so one title defence in the first fight we referred to as I say was, was a fortunate one but when he when he fought Oscar, it was his ninth defence of the 147 pound title, which Delaha won on points, right? But and I've watched that fight. I dare say Rob has as well. Maybe you have as well, Steve. But many felt that the cars should have been way closer mm-hmm. than what they were. And, you know, 116-110, I think was was one of the scorecards. Very very wide. I think it, like 114, 113 type scorecard would have been. I think Delaha just nicked it. Just just nicked it, yeah. but he just nicked it. Yeah, it wasn't a dominant performance. He was just younger and fresher, but um, Whitaker still made him look bad a lot of the time. Yeah. Like he's doing that ducking, that style where he ducks his whole body right in front of you. And Oscar was a real learning fight for him. Like he 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 had to pull it. He had to be at his very best to beat Whitaker even then. So um, you could edge it. Like I mean, if you're edging with the champion, maybe you could have made an argument for a draw or whatever. Would have been controversial. Though. I think the the right winner and the outcome, but. But not too many legitimate L's on Pernell's record, for sure. Yeah. 
they obviously he's I think at this point this is where Whitaker's went into the kind of clutches and maybe the, the cocaine addiction and stuff because he'd obviously failed the drugs test in his next fight against Andre Bistraev who yeah if a drug test was suspended for six months, even you know, joke suspension, even back then, we're talking about nowadays for peds and stuff like that. So, his next fight 16 months later, he's faced but that's him, trade, that's uh, him coked up against Oscar, yeah. too. When you think about it, yeah, I think about well, Oscar that, could have been on the coke himself. I don't think Oscar was on the coke himself at that stage, but Pernell certainly was like so. That's another factor to fucking take into consideration. Yeah, well, I was just going to say because he fought Tito Trinidad 16 months later after that fight, and I watched the fight just recently there, and you can see it's a very, very washed, faded, faded vet at this point yeah. but he lost fairly on points you know suffered a yeah. broke jaw dropped in the 12th round you know he just looked a shell of himself and retirement followed he's back 26 months later he stopped with a, I think he had, um, a broken clavicle and then a few days later after that he's rushed into hospital you know because with a part and drug overdose where his girlfriend found him having a seizure covered in sweat and he's basically had it had it, deny these claims saying that he's been he's had a couple of drinks he's taken some painkillers had a reaction to it but it all come full circle in the end because he was meant to fight Ike Quarte and um, the fight got cancelled because he ended up uh, ending in uh, drug rehab as well mm. sad yeah. man uh, Rob just before we bring you in on Penel Whitaker typical of me to go for the obscure stuff it's actually Pestroia who I'm quite interested in I remember whenever I was really getting into the sport as a hardcore he came over to the UK and fought a couple of local guys. Steve Roberts in 2002, who was 29 and 0 at the time. This was right in the middle of Sky's obsession with like the WBU and the IBO. Roberts was the WBF super uh, welterweight champion, and Pestroyev took his record off him with a majority decision win. He then came back um, the next year in 2003 to unify his WBF title with Richard the Secret Williams's IBO world super welterweight title in the York Hall Bethnal Green, and he lost to Williams, who was crowned the. WBO and WBF champion that night. So that was Pestroyev. He's the name that stuck out to me naturally, Rob. You might know, know I'd go down that, haven't you? Well, it must have been a well-kept secret because I never heard of him. Richard <laughs> the Secret Williams. Or Terry Deesman. Yeah, fuck. I'm, i got to order the DVD set. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, just on Whitaker, man. I mean, look, we talk about special fighters and once-in-a-lifetime fighters and I think, you know, I'm lucky enough to have lived through, like, uh, Leonard uh, Tyson at his at, at his the height of it Hagler Harns those guys but Whitaker's up there in the mentions with any lightweight in history and you know whatever circumstances you do those fantasy fights you give him a shot of beating any lightweight in history any light and I'd include Lomachenko in that like although that's a fight I would absolutely love to see I absolutely love to see the two of those go at it. But I think, you know, as much as you can try and compare fighters to modern day fighters to Whitaker, you can't compare them like there's no there's no comparison. I don't care how good Terence Crawford is. Lamachenko's maybe up there seeing as he's he's unified the lightweight title and he's fighting he's probably a featherweight fighting at lightweight, like. But um you know, Pernell Whitaker, man, Olympic gold medalist as said out of that brilliant eighty four team three or four weight world champion, just fucking incredible. And like you said, even when he was a shell of himself, he was still handling himself uh, pretty well against top level operators, you know, legends of the sport when you look back at his resume. So um, I think it's sad to see, I always like in those fights, like like the one against Trinidad to when Leonard fought, I remember clearly when Leonard fought um, Terry Norris, and just being so sad at seeing like Leonard getting stopped on the, on the you know, by by a guy that's just beating the life out of him because like, he hasn't got it anymore. And you know, obviously the drugs were a big factor with that with Whitaker. And it's just sad, man. It's a sad ending. Like he should be kicked up with. If if there was any justice to it, he should he should be going around with, with Floyd Mayweather's bankroll, mm. like you know what I mean, and and kick back somewhere fucking. Uh, Aruba or wherever Floyd is this week, like doing some shit like that instead of having a tragic end like he did. So. Um, really, really sad story for, for Whitaker. We're on top of breaking news this midday. Virginia Beach police have confirmed the person who was killed after being hit by a car last night was boxing legend Pernell Sweepy Whitaker. Hello, I'm Don Roberts. And I'm Lex Gray. The 55-year-old former boxer is originally from Norfolk. He was hit on Northampton Boulevard near Baker Road. That's not far from the Norfolk... But I don't think... I think in this, in this context, always when Whitaker and Chavez is mentioned... It feels like almost people are detracted from Chavez. Like I have to give him as much credit for being 
as good as he was at the time where he was a you know he's a, a living legend Julio Cesar Chavez and like Andy said to come from Culiacan in Mexico in the roughest areas in the world to be the best fighter in the sport arguably for around 10 years and alongside Whitaker and I it's a pity they didn't do it more than once really See, see, but and you love this comment by me. But see, um, I think it was after either the Camacho win. I think it was the Camacho win. I think it was a Puerto Rico Mexican rival. You can the, the Mexican president sent the limousine that they sent to pick up the Pope to pick Chavez up for the, <laughs> to pick Chavez up for the airport and to take him back to the presidential palace so he could have a party. Yeah, brilliant. That's and he loved that, the parties at Chavez. Oh, why? He That's said that about. Uh, Dan Oscar. King, when they eventually lost to, to Frankie the Surgeon Randall, they asked him about it years later, and he said, I told Don King don't make any fights in January. I like the party over Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, see, but I, I could just, just jump onto Chavez, just if you want, yeah. there, I mean, just, just, because this, that bit there about Del Hoyer, for example, just talking about, you know, by this point, you know, he's obviously, he's been the dominant champ, but he's been 90th pro fight, he's lost his title to Frankie Randell and all that sort of stuff. He then rematches Chavez, eh, sorry, Meldrick Taylor, and then he, he fights a, another favourite fighter of mine back in the day, was Tiger Tony Lopez, who had a great fight with eh, Rocky Lockridge back in the day mm. and that as well. So, wins that, wins that by stoppage. In the 95, he's kind of talking about retirement, he's talking about, you know, he's not giving his best and stuff. But by this point, He's, he's probably in the clutches of his own addictions with alcohol and cocaine. Cause I remember reading Oscar's book when he was talking about the first fight and he says that he's seen Chavez you know, stumbling out a limousine at five in the morning when he'd been out for a run or whatever. And uh, basically Chavez made a lot of excuses actually that his cup was caused by his son's rattle or whatever it was and that sort of stuff. But it was just kind of covering the cracks and that. Just that, yeah. You know, this point, he's he's over. He is over the hill. You know, 1996. You know, he's beat Joey Gamash, hundredth pro fight. He's then I think he had the um, Oscar then vacated uh, one of the belts. So Chavez then faced Miguel uh, Gonzalez for the vacant belt. Had a draw. So then rematch Oscar and he got stopped in eight rounds. And I always remember this fight against Costa Zoo, 38 year old. I think it was early 2000. It was. Yeah, uh, and he got badly wasted, and I mean wasted in that fight. Six rounds, I think it was. He got he got a bat, smashed, smashed up, and then he beat Terry Thomas, who I think Roberto Duran might have fought him at one point as well. Uh, who you know retired? He then retired at that point. Came back in 03, uh, and he beat uh, Willie Wise, who had beat him previously and stuff. But interestingly, actually, he. In 2004, he, he claimed he was in the ring for the final time when he fought Frankie Randell in a rubber match. He returned a year later, though, fought Ivan Robinson, won a, a UD 10 rounds, and then four months later, 115th from final fight, lost a five rounds to Grover Wiley after injuring his left hand, who, by the way, his son Julio Jr. would avenge that loss a mere two years later. That's right. Good stuff, and yeah, look at that Costa Zoo one. Zoo was a beast around that time. He was putting people away, and he did a proper job on Chavez. Just before our final wrapping up comments, everybody, for this third episode of season three of Punches from the Past, we'll have a look over the particulars on the card itself. It was actually a Friday night, Friday the 10th of September, 1993, and it wasn't the only high-profile draw on the card. Azuma Nelson also boxed to a draw for his WBC Super Featherweight title against undefeated Jesse James Leho. I haven't watched that one. Terry Norris, I've seen that, knocking out Arturo Gatti's brother Joe Gatti in the first round. The late Lavanda Johnson as well. Look at the Um, scorecards. Look at the the scorecards. Look at the scorecards of that Azuma Nelson-Leho fight. Scorecards, let's have a look then. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? I'm going to have to watch that fight. 113, 115, 118, 112, and 115, 115 apiece. Yeah, it's fair to say they uh, all saw different things. <laughs> and, uh, and who's that name that crops up there? Lons, Vicky Cole. That's the right. Oh, Larry Cole. Daniel Van der Vila as well. Uh, uh, one of the Belgian refs on the scene. Don't see him so much these days. Yeah, the, the old European judges, the Belgians and the Italians, all loved their names. A lovely 117, 115 well, scorecard. Yeah, that's right. You would have seen a lot of them. And on the on the undercard there, Rob. So I'm just going to say you had the late Lavander Johnson got a win over Bobby Brewer. Lavander obviously died in 2005 after fighting Jesus Chavez. Thomas Tate, Teron Millet went to five and zero. Oh. He was a big puncher. Uh, later on, fought the likes of Zab Judah and Arturo yeah, Gatti. Tim Austin as well. 
one and oh um he was some fighter in his day and also robin reed cropped up on the undercard the, the grim reaper he was he went to four and oh rob by beating norton five jose angel garcia no context no idea why run corns robin reed was on that undercard there good go. fighter good fighter beat kazagi didn't get it yes i actually thought oh, that didn't too. You said there, mate. You said Thomas Tate and Frank Tate. What one was who was the champ who Kalzagi was going to fight? In Thomas the Tate fought Sven Opka, so I'm assuming it was him. Was it him? Yeah. Right, and Tim Austin was a bantamweight champion, wasn't he? He was yes. a long standing IBF. Very good fighter. Yes, uh, Thomas Tate lost to Opka in 2002. That was his final fight, and Austin was a very, very good fighter. He's a good amateur, apparently, was he not? Who, Tim? Tim Austin, I was a good. Was I believe he was. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, was he Olympic representative? Would have been. Let me see. Oh, that was the same year as Oscar, probably. Yeah, I'm going to say right. that was that Barcelona '92. Not sure off the top of my head, but he was an yeah. excellent fighter. Uh, so yeah. Sorry, sorry, Rob. It's, so, it's, it's funny that you mentioned Azuma Nelson on the card. It always Azuma Nelson when I hear his name it always brings me back to Jeff Fennick. and I remember oh, like, right. when I was when I was a kid, I was like a fucking boxing fanatic. Like I honestly, God, like I used to. Go to get the train to Dublin to go because you couldn't get videos down here like it's Wexford you know there's no fucking you can't go into the shop and buy so all these videos yeah, in the back of boxing yeah, monthly yeah I, I'd, say, I'd say hold on I'd say fucking what's it called it was the epicenter of fucking boxing memorabilia was it fucking <laughs> Scotland <laughs> there's plenty but, of memorabilia uh, up here Scottish wise mate I'm doing a lot of research I'm telling you I'm finding a lot of shit here baby well keep me in the loop man but uh, fucking so I used to go to get the train to go to Dublin to buy these and go to the Virgin Mega Store and buy like the greatest fights of Sugar Ray Robinson on video but anyway long story short mate in the 80s shit was rough like and half my dad's family emigrated to Australia so they come home like once every three or four years so my auntie and her husband were home and I was saying did you ever hear of Jeff Fennick and they were like yeah, yeah he's a boxer because I was like putting Australia with Jeff Fennick from reading the magazines or whatever like. uh-huh. so I was like oh yeah he's, he's a great fighter or whatever so fucking, they went, they were in the gym, they went back to Australia and they, they fucking happened on fucking Phoenix gym and they said like, there's this little fella in Wexford and he knows all about you or whatever. Like, so he got some shit and he signed it and all and he sent it over to me and all. So I fucking wish I still had it. It's in, it's, it's got to be in the house somewhere, but I just, uh, I thought that was a, a nice touch from Fennec. Uh, you know, he didn't have to fucking do that. Like, really? But uh, that, was re- that was really cool. So I was like 10, I got this fucking envelope through the post like and it's, Jeff Henning to Rob, like, whatever. Thanks for the support, whatever the fuck it was. But I was like, wow, man, this is the coolest shit of all time. You know that's what I mean? class. That's class, yeah. that is. Back in the day, yeah, it meant, it meant so much more when you got that letter in the post. That's that's good stuff. Perfect well, punches Twitter, from the I might tell him that sometime. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you tell him. Right, let's uh, sum it up then, boys. Andy, first of all, um, a summary from you on the, the fight itself and what happened. Yeah, um, well, don't... If you're going to watch fighters, say... But, Every time we we do these episodes, we watch the fights, we break them down. We recommend you go and watch it and stuff. It's no, it's no an out an out war. It's a more purist fight. You would appreciate what you're watching. Um, and at this point, you're watching a fighter, a Sweet Pea Whitaker. You're to me, some people will say that you know, Whitaker will claim, or sorry, Whitaker waited till Chavez got to a point. To me, Chavez is close to his peak. Maybe a nanosecond past it. But Whitaker's probably at his peak, and um, to see him at this point, don't watch him. Tri- don't watch Trinidad. Watch Whitaker coming up. His lightweight reign is his absolute zenith. He is his absolute master there. He was, you know, th- the man for years. To step up to 140 for one defence and then go up to 147 and dominate the way he did, it was uh, incredible. And to be honest, you know, to have, as I say, as you had. Two fighters, just to put it into context, it was the most sought-after fight of the 1990s, right? Both fighters are ranked in the top two, the pound-for-pound rankings, for four straight years, right? Chavez was ranked uh, number one for, since 1990 to 1992. Sweet Pea was ranked second in that same that same uh, uh, span. Sweet Pea claimed number one pound-for-pound in 1993, and he would hold that status for the next... I don't know how many a few years it was and stuff like that. Then uh, I think it was three or four years. And then Chavez would drop out of the pound for pound list at the end of, end of 1994. Uh, well, Chavez 31, Whitaker's 29. To me, it's peak for peak, and uh, that's what you want. You know, to be honest, 
not often you get to see it. I mean, we, we, we waited too long to see uh, Manny and uh, Mayweather pin for pound one and two too long. I think uh, we got this fight probably just at the right time. Final comments from you, Rob? I think Andy's right. Look, you're watching the fight. If you're if you're looking for fireworks and spectacular moments, there aren't that many of them in it. But if you're looking for to see a guy set traps to enforce his will, to dominate on the inside, to box, to fucking show unbelievable reflexes and defense, then you'll get something out of it. From what you'll definitely appreciate how great Whitaker was. But you have to remember when you're watching it how great Chavez is as well. Because if you haven't watched much of Chavez, you're not going to think much of him from watching that fight but the only pity for me is that they didn't have the rematch like I would have I would have loved to see the rematch or maybe they do it three times like they wouldn't have they might have been great fights but I would have liked to see them because they were competing at, at that level neck and neck pound for pound for so many years that they do it more than once I'm never I'm not even sure what the politics were where they didn't have a rematch I'm sure there was talk for it or call for it at some stage but um Maybe Whitaker was like, fuck this. I mm. beat him the first time, you know what I mean? Probably had enough so, of the WBC and Don King by that point. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't know what was going on. Like, But yeah, it's a pity you didn't run it back. Like. Absolutely would have been. My final thoughts are, I know it sounds a bit glib, but I like to see the best fighters fight the best. See who is the number one pound for pound. See who the, the main guys are at the weights with all these titles we have floating about at the moment. Even though it ended up with a draw, I think we've got a pretty conclusive ending to who is the better man out of the two. And for me, it was Pernell Whitaker, even though the scorecards don't suggest that at the end of the day. Thank you, everybody, for listening in as usual. Thanks to Rob Kelly and Andy Patterson for joining me for this third episode of Season 3 of Punches from the Past. We're already talking about next episode, so we'll be bringing something to you very soon. Thanks for being a Patreon subscriber. As always, we'll catch you all again next time. Thank you and goodbye. Some of our listeners may be a little upset with me with what I'm about to say, but you are the first fighter that really, truly beat Julio Cesar Chavez Sr., you beat him. Yeah. Okay. Right. Don't, we're not surprised. Uh, I mean, I don't know why would I be surprised, you know, because, but uh, the fans, the, the world saw it. The world saw it. So, you know, I'm, I ain't no sense. I can't make up no excuses of why they didn't, why they called it a draw. Right. So you know? I want to know what happened to you when you got robbed in that fight. I want to know. Mentally? A lot, well, I was gonna, yeah, because a lot of people don't realize how that affects a fighter. I mean, there's. There's a really dark side in boxing where when something is taken from you or robbed from you, what type of depression and darkness that a fighter goes into? Were you bitter? Were you just... No. How did you, how'd you react to that robbery? Well, you know, actually it was 63,000 people in the house and 63 and millions of people watching it, you know, around the world. And, you know, everybody got... As long as I know that... The world got a chance to see it, you know, and I didn't put my my career around the four guys sitting around looking at me, watching me instead of watching the fight, you know, and watching to see if he catch up to me, you know, or hit me with something that can hurt me. You know, they've been waiting for that to happen for the whole 17 years I was a pro, and that never happened. <laughs> so, you know, but hey. The world got a chance to see it, and uh, it was a great fight for me. You know, mm-hmm. I gave them, I gave them what they wanted to see, little tricks and little beat him at his own game. And hey, Sports Social Podcast Network.